The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, we have a very intriguing show for you today. Uh, my guest is Bill Friedman. He is the author of a very new, one week old, in fact, book that has just come out. It's called 30 Illegal Years to the Strip. And he's not talking about, <laughs> he's not talking about that kind of strip. He's talking about Las Vegas Strip. Um, and it is the inside story of the criminal careers of the leaders of the four biggest liquor gangs during Prohibition who then ran high-end illegal casinos and then wound up in Las Vegas. And um, what's more, even, this, this book is based upon 48 years of research. It's an amazing book. It's, it's, it's huge and um, filled with lots of stories. And what I'm going to be talking to Bill about, uh, first, I'm, I, his own story and his own fascination with this, how these um, this topic held his fascination for all of his life, essentially, since he was seven years old. Um, and what he did to follow that fascination is a story in itself. And then we're going to be talking about some of the things that you don't really hear about in regard to these gangsters, I'll call them. Um, you know, they're, they're the side that isn't about uh, shooting and killing and, you know, the, the, the personal side, the psychological side, the family side. And um, we're going to be um, sort of examining them and in the end talking about how you can use the skills of gangsters to um, improve your legal businesses because there's no doubt that, uh, that they had amazing, you know, uh, and I'm not endorsing the violence that many of them use, not all of them, um, but they did have an, an amazing way of breaking through barriers and becoming incredibly successful. So there are some things that you can learn from them uh, to, to put to work in your legal, peaceful, <laughs> nonviolent uh, careers to become successful. So, Bill, welcome to the show. Thank you. Let's start with your story, um, because I, I, I think that is fascinating. Um, you talk about your parents, it's all started. <laughs> To think, this all started with your parents taking you to um, was it Vegas and and um, um, Lake Tahoe? Where, where were first, you? Where were you, Where were you born? Where were you living before they took you to these places? Uh, I uh, I grew up in Oakland, California. Okay. And uh, which is 200 miles from Lake Tahoe and Reno, and they took me when I was seven years old on a 
week vacation to Lake Tahoe. Uh, there was no hotels at that point, uh, but there were um, a lot of cabins uh, up there. And we went to the local casino, and I watched the 21 dealers stealing. I was seven, and the laws weren't as stringent then, and I stood and watched, and they told me I'd have to get back a few feet from behind the players. And I spent my afternoons watching the dealers, and I came home, and every boy I knew wanted to become a fireman or a cop, and I knew then I wanted to be a Las Vegas dealer. And that remained my dream, and I went to college. And the wait, first... wait, 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 wait. Now, did your parents, was that just a, a one-time thing, or did your parents gamble a lot? No, my parents didn't gamble, and they didn't like gambling. <laughs> and they weren't real happy I was going into it until I became <laughs> president of a hotel on the Las Vegas Strip. <laughs> okay, well then let's go back to that. So, okay, so there you were growing up. This was your dream. Um, and, and what happened? There? But you went to, well, did you, did you start, when did you start gambling? Um, I, um... Back then, I started gambling probably at 18 or 19. Uh, whenever I had extra money, I'd drive up to Reno or Tahoe and gamble it away and come back home again. Hmm. So even though you were able to tell what the dealers were doing, you, you weren't uh, very successful at gambling? Oh, the, the odds are against you. If you play long enough, you have to lose. Yes. There, there's no way around it. Uh, an interesting aside is having been a very serious gambler and associating with them, um, the gamblers have their systems, and uh, they will tell you that they believe they can win. The fact is I never knew anybody when you'd really talk to them that uh, didn't know that they were going to lose overall. They use the systems to reduce the stress of decision-making. So instead mm. of trying to figure out what the next roll of the dice or, or the next card will be, they've got a system that takes that stress away from them. And um, it's like any other addiction. They get uh, endorphins. Every one of them has some fantasy, and they're playing out their fantasy, and they're hoping that the world will love them and reward them with great benefits. And um, during when they're in action, uh, they're uh, completely beyond reason and uh, uh, because uh, the endorphins are flowing. Uh-huh. Okay, so let's go back to, uh, I, I, sorry I interrupted you. You were starting to say you went to college. Go ahead. So uh, the first summer I turned 21, I went down to Vegas. I went to dealer's school. I became a shill. Um, at uh, one of the hotels, and that was means that you play with the house's money, and they keep track so that you return their money, and uh, they put you in the games when they're slow at dinner time and at lunch time and any other period uh, uh, they're slow uh, because players want to be where the action is. And uh, the next year, the next oh. summer, I went up to Lake Tahoe, the biggest casino in the world opened, the Sahara Tahoe. I went to work there as a dealer, and I loved the gambling business, but I became fascinated with the executives behind me in what they call the pits, the table pits, um, that I worked for because 
uh, Nevada never had a homegrown industry. Uh, every time a new hotel would open or a casino would make a major expansion, they'd have to go to illegal casinos across the country and hire their executives and dealers. And all the guys that worked behind me had at best a grammar school education, but they were extremely um, street savvy. They were extremely perceptive, um, and they'd lived fascinating lives like no one else I'd ever met. Uh, this was called police protection when they'd bribe the police not to harass them, but there was no protection involved. Uh, the police uh, didn't protect them in any way. They had an illegal business. They didn't respond to any phone calls. So these men were left alone against the cheaters. They were left alone against the gangs who would try to rob their bankrolls or take over their property. And these were very, very tough guys. But gamblers are different than any other group in organized crime. All organized crime wants your money. But gamblers want your money without hurting you. And it makes a totally different breed. So while they were very tough if someone pushed them around, they also had very fine values. And I just loved these guys. And every night after work, I'd try to get one to go out and have a nightcap, and I'd sit and listen to their stories. And my dream was one day having time to research how all this developed, what their lives were like, etc., and then the Vietnam War came along, and I was one of the first people drafted, and I declared as a conscientious objector. And so under the law, the, social, the selective service uh, um, system was required to have the FBI do a complete investigation of my background to find out if I deserved that designation. And when it was done, they sat down with me and told me that under... Usual circumstances, when they draft you for two years of alternative service, they send you to a hospital near your home and you clean bedpans for two years so that you don't benefit from the designation. But they said, in your case, you've accomplished something no one else ever has. You're the only outsider that has totally ingratiated themselves into organized crime these guys love you, they socialize, they party with you, you've become one of them, and you have a background in social psychology, you love uh, gambling, you can put together for the first time how organized crime developed, how it operates, and this was uh, particularly impressive because it was years before the FBI put uh, its first undercover agent into an organized crime group, so they said, you have the choice of cleaning bedpans for two years <laughs> or hanging out with gangsters in Las Vegas for two years, and I opted for the gangsters. <laughs> so they drafted me, ordered me to go to work for the School of Criminology at the University of California, Berkeley. There was a great criminologist there, put the program together. I never asked questions that were not at least 10 years old, so anyone dealing with me knew this was not a law enforcement sting, but a serious piece of research, and I went to Vegas. I spent enormous amounts of time, and um, I thought I could get it done quickly, and it, at, now at the end of 48 years comes the, the first in the series of books, and um, I read 
200,000 old, I'm uh, sorry, 150,000 old newspapers, 200,000 pages of FBI reports, and all kinds of court records, legislative records, and interviewed almost 600 of the people that pioneered the gaming industry, most of them casino owners and key executives, but there was politicians, the gaming control, law enforcement, uh, and I interviewed all of them and put the whole story together, and this is the first book of how it came to be. Wow. <laughs> and during all this, um, how did you, did you find yourself at any time being tempted to become a compulsive gambler? Like, did you have to fight against doing it compulsively? Uh, I was, um, uh, I, I crossed over. I, I was a, a serious gambler, a dedicated gambler, and, um, I had been warned by one of the gangsters that I got very close to. He told me uh, something I'd never considered. Um, you know, I said, you know, you're taking a lot of money from all these people, and some of them can't afford it. He says, yeah, but look at the other side of it. He says, go out and look at those people. They all are here, and they have great energy. If they would focus it another way, all of these people are capable of becoming successful at something else. Mm. And one night, I was playing in his casino, and I'd been gambling for six hours, and I realized that you cannot do this research and gamble. You don't have enough hours in the day. Mm. You have to choose between gambling or doing the research. Mm. And fortunately, I said, I want to do the research, and I never gambled again. Wow, that's very interesting, and uh, and that's why you're here today. <laughs> well, yep. we need to take a break. My guest is Bill Friedman. His book is called 30 Illegal Years to the Strip. We'll be back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Bill Friedman. He is the author of the very new book that just came out, 30 Illegal Years to the Strip. Um, and I, during the break, I was just asking Bill I, I, about the compulsive gambling issue, and I was saying that must have been really hard, especially being a shill where your job was to gamble. And Bill said, go ahead. <laughs> uh, uh- Gambling as a shill doesn't satisfy the gambling need at all because gambling's all about winning or losing, and I was just sitting there pushing chips back and forth looking like I was gambling, so they, I got no satisfaction out of it. It would be the same thing as someone who's an alcoholic uh, working as a bartender pouring a drink doesn't give them any of the satisfaction that they're looking for as an alcoholic. It is, it's just a mechanical job that really doesn't relate to the uh, 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 addiction. Fulfill, yeah, it doesn't fulfill the need that the addiction does. All right, well, why don't, why don't you give us some examples? I was saying at the beginning of the show that we could learn things, which I know is probably a, uh, um, you know, a controversial thought, but um, that there, you who have studied all of these uh, men who built Las Vegas um, and the, the leading, um, <laughs> the leading what gangsters, gang leaders, and so on, um, have have come away with things that we could use in our own lives in a more positive way. So tell us about that. Give us some examples. Well, the the three there was three gangs that imported uh, most of the legitimate, uh, expensive liquor that came into the United States. And they, they, these kids accomplished an amazing amount. I mean, these were young men. They came out of poor circumstances, and they obtained the financing to get uh, 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 freighters, ocean freighters, to come in with enormous quantities of uh, booze, and they'd come to the international water line, and there they had big fleets of high-speed boats. They, uh, they loaded up, then they raced the Coast Guard and the pirates to shore, and there at the shore they loaded up a huge fleet of trucks, and those trucks pulled out and, and uh, took it all over the country, and of course the whole way uh, they're on the lookout for hijackers, so it's an incredibly adventuresome life and book. Um, but the three gangs that were so dominant had very different values from organized crime, and that is what built ultimately Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. These guys were in an illegal business of booze, but they hated violence, they rejected vendetta, they uh, refused monopoly, they felt there was enough for everybody, and it was absolutely crazy to be killing each other. And they were so different from the other gangs, even though they grew far, far bigger because of the enormous quantities. Um, uh, these gangs were bringing in in the neighborhood of 50 million uh, bottles a year each, and it's just huge operations. And they uh, they shouldn't. Uh, have made it to the top uh, of this violent world, but fate uh, made them the most powerful gangsters in history. What was amazing is the most murderous and the most psychopathic gang leaders absolutely loved these guys, but they operated on a few principles, 
And one was they always kept their word. All seven of these leaders of these three gangs was an excellent negotiator. They understood that you have to be able to uh, walk away with both parties unhappy or you haven't a real deal that will hold. They both have to give up something or it's not going to work. And uh, they preached uh, um, uh, uh, no violence. And believe it or not, they eventually became the powerhouses and the number of murders dropped enormously as they worked to do this. And when they ended up in Vegas, they did the same thing. Until 1980, I don't think there was a contract in the whole town. Everybody lived by their word. Um, uh, everybody got along. Everybody treated everybody fairly. Uh, and they ended up building 80% of the hotels on the Strip in the 20 years uh, between the opening of the Flamingo in 60, uh, 46 and the opening of uh, Caesar's Palace in 1966. And anyone that's been in Vegas, uh, lived there before 1980, I mean, to a person, they all say, this town was a lot better when the mob ran it than the corporations, which has always sounded crazy to outsiders because the mobs in other cities were violent predators, but in Vegas, they were the finest gentlemen and beloved by everybody, um, uh, and I mean loved. You just can't believe uh, how how the people just adored these guys. But they never pushed anybody around. The only time you could see the gangster part, if they got threatened, they could kill very quickly. Otherwise, they were beautiful people. Hmm. So, and, uh, okay, so some of the things that... Uh, now, did you find as you went made this journey... Uh, over these 48 years of research, um, that you started, did you feel that you were changing? Uh, you know, as you learn some of the techniques of these men, um, did you did you see yourself taking on some of these characteristics? They impacted me the way I was headed. My father was a man of in incredible uh, integrity, and I was a person still trying, when I met them, I was still trying to figure out who and what I was. And they reinforced that background until I became just an absolute straight shooter. The idea of not telling the truth, of not living to my word, became something I couldn't even consider. Hmm. And uh, one other aspect yeah. that I think you as Dr. Carroll might find very interesting, the movies always portray these guys as tough, swaggering gangsters. I and three men, two of them are very dear friends this day, and one was a top businessman who I knew and interviewed. Between the four of us, we were associated probably with every, you know, one of us was probably associated with every top gangster in America. And when we talk about what we did and what we saw compared to what the movies do, there wasn't one of these guys, these famous people from Luciano on down, that if we brought home to dinner with our families would have had any suspicion they were a gangster, hmm. except when they took mug shots and they looked swirly. 
and or except when someone was pushing them, they didn't show it at all. And the other thing, even though these other mob leaders were violent and dangerous, and I meant you're not going to hear one good thing from me, they were terrible for the society, they couldn't have survived if they didn't live by their word. Think about it. Who would do business with someone who they knew was going to stab them? So in their personal lives, we used to talk because the three guys I'm talking about, one was an architect, and he was called in the press the architect of the mob. So every time they did a restaurant, every time Mm. they did a nightclub, he drew it for them. Mm. Then the next one, he put in all the fixtures. He decorated it. He put in the kitchens. He put in everything and didn't charge them a penny. But they paid a very high rate of interest every month after that. So he made out real good on the interest then. The third one did the marketing. And I asked each one separately because they all had big businesses besides the mob business. I asked each one, and they were dealing with the most notorious guys in, in the country. And I said, to each one, why do you do the mob thing? You don't need it. And they all gave me the same answer. Yeah. The gangsters always pay, they're <laughs> less demanding, and they're more appreciative. <laughs> they always kept their word. In other uh-huh. words, there's a difference. They'd come at you with a gun and steal your money, but when they did business, otherwise the politicians, would, if, if they were like the movies, the politicians would have been afraid of them, and anyone doing business, they did everything by the book. And, and I never heard of one of these guys uh, uh, not coming out with them, which, of course, is not true in normal business. What do you mean not coming out with them? Uh, not uh, being paid, not, not, uh, not coming out with the deal the way they expected. Uh-huh, uh-huh. They absolutely live by their word. Hmm. Well, that's very interesting. Well, um, yes, we, you, we were talking about, um, uh, before we started, we were talking about how some of the movies, as you mentioned, uh, haven't been portraying these characters who you studied um, accurately. And one of the examples was the Bugsy movie, 1991, Warren Beatty, I saw the movie, you saw the movie. Tell us about how that wasn't accurate. Well, what happens with Hollywood, and unfortunately most of the books that were written about early organized crime, nobody ever talked to one of these guys. None of them ever talked to anyone but me. Hmm. And they didn't do any serious research. What they would basically do is they take 16 headlines from their life and then write pure fiction. So I sit there, and the reasons are wrong, the way they did it's wrong. I mean, I don't mean it's mispresented. Most of the stuff never happened, and the stuff that did, it it was for completely different reasons in different ways. And you just sit there, it's just pure fiction you're seeing. Hmm. So, okay, what was it about you that got these guys, all these different, you know, the um, these gang leaders, gangsters, and the the executives. Well, the executives I could see talking to you because, um, you know, especially they like telling their stories and so on. But how did you get these gangsters to trust you to tell you their stories? 
I know you said you didn't ask them about anything that was uh, more recent than 10 years ago so that they had less fear that you were going to turn them in. But still, how, you know, who were you to them? How did, they, how did you get in their good graces? I, well, the, the fact is I was absolutely nobody to them. Um, I mean, I'm being serious now. Uh, uh, I had nothing going for me. It's very hard to determine what impact I had on them. A physicist told me when I was a young man, he said, you know, the hardest thing there is in the world is to know how others perceive us. We can look out at the vast universe and understand a lot, but we don't know how they are responding to us. Yes. And um, Ah. and, uh, so I will give you some thoughts, but it's my opinion, and it probably has some truth to it, but I'm still not sure to this day. Okay. Uh, Well, when we come back, we will hear about what you have come up with uh, in the interim for how you think they saw you and what they saw to make them trust you. My guest is Bill Friedman. His book is called 30 Illegal Years to the Strip. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, so stay tuned. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together to provide children with a healthier start in life. Visit marchofdimes.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about uh, gamblers and what we can learn from them. (laughs) Um, My guest is Bill Friedman. His book is 30 Illegal Years to the Strip. And um, right before the break, I was asking him about what it was that he thought um, made the these top um, 
some of the top criminals, some of the medium criminals, um, uh, you know, the, the top men in the gambling industry, um, why they trusted him, uh, top gangsters, I should say, why they trusted him and why they told him their stories. So go ahead. Well, part of it, I, you know, I think there's multiple factors and never can be sure on, on uh, uh, why people respond positively to you, but the factors that seem to play in is, one, I did just very hard, long-hour research, so when I would go in with the questions, they'd just look at me and say, where did you get that? Uh, mm-hmm. So they respected that the effort I was doing um, in addition, I idolized these guys. I just uh, thought what they had accomplished was phenomenal, and I'm sure that stroked their ego. Uh, there was another big factor that played into it, and that was until these guys came to Vegas, they had been in an illegal business. It was gambling, but it was illegal. And they were considered criminals and low lowlifes, and it also covered over into their families. Well, when they came to Vegas, they were now legitimate, but they still carried the stigma of having been a criminal. And they wanted the story out there. And it really came home to me five times when I was either in someone's office or their home, and I'm interviewing them, and they'd uh, think of something to add to what I'd asked, and they five times each of these guys told me something really awful about themselves. Hmm. And my adi- I told them exactly what my attitude was. If I learn anything about you from an outside source, I consider it mine and I'll use it. But I am not going to come in here and ask you to open up and you say something bad and I go to press with it. I'm not here to hurt you. If you tell me you want that off the record, I will never repeat it again. And all five guys told me the same thing. I did it. I'm, it's all right for you to write it, but write the truth, the whole truth. I want my family to know who I really was, warts and all. Hmm. And they were trying finally to get the picture because everything in the media was so, so if not distorted, ridiculous, and they wanted their real life out there. So can you give us an example? Of, 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 of one of the things bad that, things? Yeah. You know, I write my notes at the time, and I just don't carry those in my head because I'm always doing the patterns of, like, I focused on this book. How did these guys get to where they got and so those kinds of things, I remember, I remember them telling me that. I don't even remember what the issues were today. <laughs> I won't realize it until I get to my notes and I'll have it starred that this was something they said I could use. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I mean, was it something like um, something about somebody, some, something violent or something uh, illegal? Or was it something no, it, about... No, it was generally something that uh, unsavory, uh, business dealings, uh, uh, that, you know, not, not the normal thing they were known to do. Uh-huh. So, okay, so not something super personal like getting drunk and walking out with no clothes on. <laughs> no, no, nothing like that. No, this, this, this was doing something that did not fit the character that, that uh, everybody knew. 
Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, all right. Well, um, what about... Uh, well, let's talk about gambling and sex. Yes, I said during the break, that's what I wanted to talk about because I know from uh, treating and talking about and giving expert testimony about um, uh, compulsive gamblers that one of the, one of the uh, key traits is that um, there's a connection between the high um, of, you know, craving the high of, um, of winning at gambling and craving the high of sex, needing that, you know, sometimes um, gambling taking the place of sex. When, uh, when people aren't getting lucky in the bedroom, they look to get lucky at the tables. And um, so what did you, what, what have you learned over the years, seen over the years in that regard? Okay. Um, uh, the best example I can think of is the Coke, Copacabana in New York City was the most famous and glamorous nightclub in America. And it was owned by Frank Costello, who at the time was the boss of bosses of the mafia. And every time they'd bring a new entertainer in, Saturday night, the top gangsters in New York City showed up for front and center seats with their wives. And Jerry Lewis wrote in his autobiography that after the show... Uh, Frank, um, Frank Costello came backstage and said, I want you to come out, and he'd introduce them at each table so that the families could say they met Jerry Lewis and one night, and et cetera, et cetera. Well, at the Copa, there was another policy. The same men who showed up in those front seats on Saturday night also showed up on those same front seats on Friday nights, but they all had their mistresses. Hmm. And this was an absolute ritual. No one hid it except no one dared show it up on the wives' nights with a mistress or vice versa. Mm. And so the vast majority of these gangsters had mistresses. It was part of their life. And they also, for the most part, were big-time gamblers. Um, back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, horse betting was far and away bigger than all the professional sports combined. From the 50s on, uh, sports betting became big, and most of these guys blow whatever money they have every day, and then they're out hustling soon afterwards uh, to pay for tomorrow. So, yeah, most of them have both the mistress and the gambling as big central figures in their life. And did you ever um, feel that... I don't know how, like how well or how long you knew them, but did you ever feel that, um, did you ever see how someone who wasn't um, lucky in love or lucky in, you know, being fulfilled with their mistresses and their wives um, would gamble more than the, or, or there was a more of a desperation in his gambling than the others? Um, I, that I didn't see. There was a few cases, uh, and these were gamblers that I knew, that they had problems with their marriage. Their wife was an alcoholic or other problems, and they turned to mistresses, and they just told me flat out, I'm really not happy or proud of it. 
I just didn't know what to do with my marriage, which is a very different phenomenon. But I got to know these guys well enough that when they were feeling blue, they'd tell me about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about um, one of the other examples. Um, Luciano, he, he has a very interesting story, both with the, the murder, um, the connection, how he was prosecuted unfairly, and... Um, and then how he wound up um, uh, helping the Allied invasion against the Nazis. It seems like it seems like such uh, disparate kinds of you know aspects of someone's life. But so tell us his story. Well, Luciano was not only the most powerful criminal in the history of the country, but he was the most. Rec- Respected and admired. He was a quiet man, talked in a low voice, but when he spoke, the entire underworld of all, he was Sicilian, but the entire underworld of all nationalities listened, and Wall Street listened. And um, uh, I'm just trying to think of the best way to lead in here. Um, he uh, became the, the the top gangster in America, even when he was well. Okay, let me let me go back. He was one of five partners in the biggest prohibition gang, and they had their market in Manhattan. And of course, half the wealth of the nation lived there, so they were bringing in all the great champagnes and old red wines, etc., as well as the top scotches. And he. He, he was king of the hill, but there was five mafia gangs running the city, and he teamed up with the biggest gang. They indoctrinated him. He became the lieutenant, and he paid off a percentage to have unfettered rights to Manhattan. Hmm. Well, he was the lieutenant. He called a national crime conference, the only one ever assembled in this country that brought in all nationalities. And he said, there's just too much violence. The public's turning against us. Soon the cops and the politicians are going to turn against us, and we're going to lose our businesses and go to jail. You guys have to stop killing each other. Huh. This not only was no meeting ever held of all the gangs before, it was headed by a lieutenant. It, it, I mean, it's just a, a mind-boggling thing. He had this kind of respect of people. Then they went after him, and they framed him on a phony prostitution charge, something he had nothing to do with. And, and I go into it in detail in my book, the... Uh, uh, D.A. who set the whole thing up, how they pressured the people, and how they sent him to prison. And what he was supposed to have done, he was uh, tried under what they called the compulsory uh, prostitution law. But the D.A. kept telling the jury there was no compulsion here, it was voluntary, and he supposedly knew the people that booked the girls. There was women who were madams who had apartments around uh, Manhattan, and they wanted a different face every week. So there was a booking agency, and they sent the girls to a different address every week. 
and they tried to connect him to it. He, of course, had nothing to do with, with that. And they got uh, a lifetime sentence for what had never been more than a $300 fine. I mean, the whole thing just stunk. Now he's in prison for life. We'll get to the Second World War next and what he did for America. (laughs) Okay, we do need to take another break. This is going so quickly. My guest is Bill Friedman. His book, again, is called 30 Illegal Years to the Strip. And when we come back, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll come back to Luciano in prison and hear the rest of that story. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com How do you achieve the utmost success in your life, career, faith, relationships, and more? It's all here in The Business of Living with host Scott Ventrella. Scott has experience as an executive coach, sought-after speaker, and lecturer. He and his guests will offer practical solutions and strategies to help you move to the next level of success, no matter where you are in your life and career. The Business of Living airs live every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking with Bill Friedman about his book, 30 Illegal Years to the Strip, and about his... uh, his um, being a mole. <laughs> well, you weren't really a mole. You were honest about who you were and being uh, accepted by and trusted by uh, some of the most illustrious gangsters. So you, we were talking about Luciano. Go ahead. Well, they sent him to prison, and ten years later the Second World War started, and by the fifth month America was in real trouble. Um, we were sending uh, ships of our troops of enormous amounts of food and all cars, they stopped uh, producing automobiles and went to armored vehicles, and all of this was being shipped, and the German U-2 boats were knocking out huge numbers of these. 
and the uh, Navy intelligence couldn't figure out how they were getting the information, was very worried because we only had England and Russia uh, standing. The rest had fallen to the Nazis, and they had to keep them supplied, plus build our war effort to finally come back. And uh, they couldn't, the uh, naval intelligence couldn't get into the docks. There was miles and miles of docks in, uh, in the New York area, city area, and no one would talk to them. The unions wouldn't talk to them. The workers wouldn't talk to them. The businesses wouldn't talk to them. And they tried to get in, and they were finally told there's only one man that everybody listens to, and that's Charlie Luciano. So they went to the prison. They asked him if he'd handle the war effort, and he just flat said no. And they asked, why not? And he says, because right now it looks like you're going to lose. And if I help you and you lose and then I get sent back to Italy, I'm going to be hung. Because, of course, uh, Italy was an ally of Germany at that point. Hmm. And they said, if we promise to keep it secret, will you help us? He said, I want to guarantee that you'd never use my name. They said, you've got it. So he said, you tell me what you need. And they told him exactly what they needed. He said, you send my two former Prohibition partners to see me, Meyer Lansky and Joe Adonis. They showed up at the prison. He gave them the marching orders. They went back to the docks. They put out the word that Charlie Luciano wanted them to join the war effort. Remember, these were mostly immigrants, and they didn't trust the governments they'd left, let alone the new one. And the next day, hundreds upon hundreds of men showed up at the Navy Intel office, and when they asked each one what they're doing there, they said, Charlie Lucky told me to come. Hmm. And one after the other, they told them uh, everything about Sicily, where all the armaments were, where all of the garrisons were, where the mines were. Uh, they gave them the pictures that they've taken uh, that were not over two years old, which were all returned to these people. And the invasion of Sicily, they went through that whole big island in six weeks, got then to the mainland of Italy, and for two years got nowhere, but the information was so powerful, they steamrolled right through. And it was all because of one man saying, we're going to war with America hmm. on America's side, and that's what happened. Wow. And that's not what people think about <laughs> originally when they think about him. That's really interesting. Um, well, tell, I know we don't have much time left, but tell us about the families. I, I'm, you know, the um, well, and I'm of, sorry, these, go ahead. of these gangsters. Well, what's interesting, and now we're talking about the big-time gangsters, when, you know, you can imagine uh, covering the 50-year period from uh, 1920 with Prohibition up through about 1970 when these guys started dying out were replaced with a new breed. They... Um, uh, whenever one of these guys was killed, because I studied every one of the murders, it was inevitable that within a few hours the police would show up with the wife and she'd be crying and say what a uh, good husband he was, what a good father he was, what a wonderful man, never had an enemy. And they'd ask what he did for a living. 
and they'd say, I don't know. I don't think anyone believed them, but the truth was these men in organized crime never told their wives where they were going, when they'd be back, who they were meeting, what they were doing, never said a word. It was the wife ran the home and the husband left, and there was a reason for it. When I look at these various shows, they've got all these rules in the underworld that I never heard of, but this one was an absolute rule. If a man, if man, uh, one man kills another, the wife hates the killer. If she knew about her husband's business, if she was courageous, she'd go testify against the killer. Mm-hmm. If she was afraid, she'd become a confidential informant and tell everything she knew so they could get him. The only way they could protect their wives and children, it was absolute. You never told them anything, and that's why you never heard of any of them getting killed. Hmm. Well, what did you think about, what was the show? Um, oh, what was the television Casino? show? No, um... Oh. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, the, the Sopranos? Yes, there we go. Um, did you, how did you, you, you know, think that was? You know the three men I of... told you that I knew so well? When it came out, all of us told each other the same thing. I watched two minutes of three different episodes, and not one thing was like anything I ever saw or heard of or experienced. It's absolutely too ridiculous to watch. Huh. Okay, then why do you think... Uh... Why do you think it really fascinated America? Well, they, people may or may not have thought it was real, but apparently it was entertaining. But coming from the real thing, yes. <laughs> you know, they have the wife trying to kill the husband and this and that. I mean, it just, <laughs> it was stuff that just never, there, there's not one reported incident of stuff like they had. Huh. So it was kind of like, uh, it was... <laughs> It, when? And if it was entertaining, I don't knock it for being entertaining. Uh-huh. They, I, I don't know if they ever claimed it was true. I never heard that. It was, you know, a fictional version, and it was yes. truly fictional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what did, what did your parents think of, uh, like you were saying, they were kind of worried about you. What did, what did uh, they think about a nice boy like you <laughs> getting mixed up with gangs like that? And devoting your life to this, did they say to themselves, oh, God, why did we bring him to Lake Tahoe? That's where it all started. They, they, they didn't mind my associations and my interest. What worried them is what was going to happen for my career. And, of course, none of us could have foreseen that because of the knowledge they impacted on me and because of their interventions that I would end up with a phenomenal career. I didn't expect that either. Um, uh, After I finished my selective service duty, the next eight years I supported myself by being the number one uh, speaker at Las Vegas conventions. I did about a convention a week. And um, uh, I taught at the university one class uh, every semester for uh, twice, two semesters a year for 10 years. So I worked two weeks, two days a year, and for eight years I spent five days a week doing this research. And then you, oh my goodness, and then you became uh, an executive of, of casinos Yeah, I, as well. I went from never having managed anyone to being the president of a hotel. Yes. <laughs> and, and now the author of the book, 30 Illegal Years to the Strip, 
And uh, let me tell my listeners where they can find out more about you and about the book. Uh, the website is Bill Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N, BillFriedmanAuthor.com. And, of course, you can get the book at Amazon or BarnesandNoble.com, Amazon.com. And, um, and, again, the title is 30 Illegal Years to the Strip. Well, Bill, thank you so much for a very um, entertaining and true <laughs> account of, uh, of these stories, which really, um, you know, a lot of things we get lost in, in the history of, um, and we don't really get to hear the actual details. But your book um, is a huge tome uh, with all of these de- details and, and researched over 48 years. So thank you so much for sharing. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 